Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Corner, the official podcast of PitcherList.com. I'm your host, Eric Samulski, joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Pollock. Are you suggesting I'm a myth? Uh, what is happening? That is an uh, interesting I'm, phrase, right? Right. Like, yeah. you're a man, I mean, but you're also a myth. Yeah. I don't know. It's all, you, can, I, I, you, I, you contain multitudes. Thank you so much. So do you. Uh, it's thank great you. to see it back. We're going to go quick in this one. Eric does not have as much time as we normally do. I mean, I don't have much time. Here, but no one has time. And you, listener, probably doesn't have time. These are easy, though. These what are a time? lot of just kind of boring guys, you know? Yeah. What What is time? Um <laughs> We are we are continuing our roundup of uh, the top 200, even though we won't actually get to 200 uh, starting pitchers, which, again, you can find over on PitcherList.com. Today's episode is going to feature starting pitchers ranked 41 through 50 um, on Nick's list. It will be two tiers of action. Um, this first tier that we're going to get to began on our last episode with Nick's starting pitcher number 40. Mad Max Scherzer, World Series bound Mad Max Scherzer. Um, and so we'll pick up from that with starting pitcher 41. Uh, Nick, with the recent news of, of Dusty Baker stepping down, uh, the two tiers today, I want to know your two favorite managers. Um, don't have to be for teams that you particularly rooted for. Uh, I sometimes just don't think we uh, we give enough. We talk enough about you know either managerial yeah. styles or personalities or or whatever. So I'm I'm curious sure. where you land. Um, well, I think there's one to me. It's just a very personal one. Um, where in 2009, uh, the uh, the Brandeis baseball team in the February of 2009 got to go to Arizona uh, to uh, for our like spring training in February. And it was actually right when pitchers and catchers were. Um, Reporting, it was with the Padres, it was with the Rockies um, in that facility in Peoria, Arizona. And I, uh, so when we're playing these games and stuff, at one point we actually got to go through the clubhouse. Um, we met like Adrian Gonzalez and Kevin Kirmanoff, uh, Kuzminoff, Kuzminoff, it's fine. Uh, it's, I can't remember. I loved him though, he was great. And uh, David Eckstein as well. And it concluded um, with meeting Bud Black. Mm. And I gotta say, um, Five minutes with Bud Black, and I would have ran through a wall for that guy. Um, I I think actually that was a moment where I truly understood what a good leader was and what a good coach could be. And it felt like he understood me, understood why I was there, and understood why it was important that I was there and why it's important for me to be you know here and, and trying as hard as I can I was like oh my gosh I get it now and for that reason I mean but black to me especially for coaching a team like the Rockies where he's given nothing mm -hmm. uh, I mean he's just trying as hard as he can to do I don't think he gets enough appreciation for what he does um, with that and obviously I mean I have to give respect to Bochi man I just have to uh, I, he just keeps doing it however he does it and there's something about the old school manager that is lost these days um and I think also in just in general managers that are player managers are more important than ever than being the crafty strategist manager. Um, I think the skill of managing is not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about how to inspire and lead and keep everybody focused on the task at hand. And that to me is what a player manager does best. 
That's why Dusty Baker to me is fantastic. Despite all the base clogger content, uh, comments that he's made in the past or whatever you want. These days when it comes to front offices, if they are saying, go ahead, make those bad decisions, that's on the front office. Mm-hmm. The manager's real task these days is to is to understand the players and to get them motivated. And guys like Bochi and, and Dusty Baker do that so well. Fully agree. I mean, it's a hard task with so many guys from different backgrounds personality types, uh, motivations to get them all all on the same page. Um, I think we tend to sometimes overemphasize uh, the pulling of the the strings. I've coached both baseball and basketball, and that's one of the things I notice the biggest difference is like in basketball, you're constantly calling out plays. Maybe you're switching a defense. You have an inbound play. You have a this, you have a that. Right. And in baseball, it sometimes feels like you're sitting there for four innings, five innings, <laughs> and not really doing yep. much. Um, but that doesn't make it easier right because the work gets done beforehand and you're still making some moves but you're just trying to you know make sure that the personalities are all there so i i, I like that i appreciate that hmm. um uh, what what is the tier today what what do we got so we started with uh we started with i guess this is the bud black tier um hmm. it is potentially the the underrated tier um some of these guys used to be great and are forgotten some of them uh maybe uh are just not getting the respect they deserve. But we started with starting pitcher number 40, Max Scherzer. So who is starting pitcher number 41 for you? Well, that'll be you, Darvish. And I really struggle with you, Darvish, because I feel as if there is a way for Darvish to have an approach that just constantly works. I think it's there. If you guys watched my video on him against the Toronto Blue Jays, he really did the right thing of not giving in, utilizing his pitches the right way. Um, curveball and, uh, and slider emphasis with sinkers inside, four seamers upstairs and two strikes, um, the cutter at the right time. It really was just a fantastic outing. And then it changed. And I think with Darvish on a given day, he's someone who doesn't really know what he will have until the game starts and then kind of game plans from there. Mm-hmm. And that unfortunately means he's a cherry bomb. Um, I really, really hope that Darvish can get to a situation where he says, no, this is, these are the three best things about my arsenal. And I'm going to ensure that every day I pitch, this is what I do. I do not have that faith in you, Darvish, right now. Um, And when we look at all these players and we say, cool, who are the guys that every single time they start, I will be happy they are on my team. Darvish is, has been known for a long time as that premium cherry bomb four five six ERA with a 1-3 whip last year in 136 innings. If you stuck with him in your life the entire year, he did damage to your team. Even though he had some amazing stretches, we know the potential. He had 195 innings, a 3-10 ERA, and .95 whip last year. I mean, that's incredible. But I realize we all kind of knew that, like, yeah, Darvish probably isn't going to do that again. Um, and that's that's how it came to and yeah i just kind of feel as if uh you can't really trust him as much as you want him to yeah uh everything also noticeably got worse as the year went on not necessarily better so you know you can't even really bank on um you can't really even bank on saying like oh well this tweak mattered or happened or changed things and i know we talked yeah the last time about you know max scherzer being 39 years old and maybe kind of no longer having the stuff um you know darvish 37 years old also probably dealing with some physical declines and trying to pitch through it and around it um and you know perhaps i unfairly give scherzer more credit in 
being able to figure that out because I have Darvish 48th for me. Um, but, I, I, you know, two of the last three years just have not really been great. Um, second half of the year, just a 10.7% swing strike rate overall, you know, not missing bats, giving up, you know, loud contact. Um yeah, I don't I don't really love it. I understand exactly what you're talking about. I, I guess at this point, like I'd rather chase the upside on a younger arm who yeah. might be what Darvish used to be now, or whatever. Now there's absolutely a point that Darvish can just go off and be amazing next year and figure something mm-hmm. out. We've seen this. It just gets harder and harder of a sell. Um you could also say like last four years, he hasn't had a whip below one ten, right? It was one ten in two thousand nineteen, and then just kind of that's what he does, but I uh, yeah, it's uh, 130 this past year. Hit for nine, went up to nine. Maybe that does regress a little. Obviously, it should, but it's just feels weird, man. And I don't like yeah. weird. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're like, what's the pitch, right? What are you like? Oh, yeah. if he gets in trouble, he's going to go to this. In many respects, his best pitch was a curveball. I mean, it's his second best pitch by PLV, but it was his it was his best pitch performance wise by swinging strike rate and defense independent ERA and whatever. But he, he doesn't really throw it. He throws yeah. it like 12 percent of the time. So then is the be- is his best pitch the slider? I mean, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't there's not that one thing that I think I feel comfortable that he can rely on to get out of trouble. Um, and so I understand your concern. Yep, uh, exactly. I'm curious about the next guy because. Um, had a pretty tremendous year, but I still don't think a lot of people are going to buy in. Um, and it's potential you might be uh, overrating him. Hey, wow. Who's your starting pitch <laughs> number 42? Uh, that would be Jake Oberizzi. No, I'm just kidding. It's Bailey Oberizzi. <laughs> um, yeah, Bailey Ober to me, what, what's curious about him is that he's so close. I mean, he's truly, I think, really, really close to being something legitimate. And... Um, you know, so four seamers, for example, are the major thing with him. This is why I've called him Bailey Oberizzi. He goes upstairs, paints the top of the zone, really top third of the zone with four seamers incessantly. Uh, he actually has one of the high, the the lowest expected out of zone percentages on all four seamers, according to PLV. Um, and it's not really the, the greatest induced vertical break or very good VAA, but he just so constantly puts it there. And it's a very effective pitch for him. And he has such good extension, 7.3 feet of extension. It really helps that pitch up in the zone. So with that, as long as he has anything else working inside the zone underneath and not like dead middle, just like down enough to do a decent enough uh, Blake Snell blueprint, he's great. And really PLV, it was 5.45 on his changeup. Um, this past year, and that really was that pitch, one of the highest expected zone mm-hmm. rates on a changeup at 50%. Um, the slider is the one that I think needs a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad pitch, it's just an inconsistent one. And there were some games where Ober really nailed the, the Blake Snell blueprint, four seamers upstairs, and uh, changeups down, and sliders were looking good, and it was just like, yep, this is the this is the amazing thing. He even had a, a new term on the site this year, the Bailey Special. Just six innings and a 117 whip and about 200 runs, and I uh, maybe like a strike at an inning or so and you're happy with it. I think there is another level for Bailey Ober as he gets more time um, in that rotation. It was 144 innings in the majors this year. He also went down to the minors for another 22. So he's primed for every five days. I mean, that's pretty much what he did this year at 31 starts for the season. Um, so I think that as we see more of Bailey Ober, we're going to see still a good walk rate, 
5%. We see a 25% carry. I think that changeup and slider get even better. I wouldn't even be surprised if Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez were like, yo, come on, man. Come to driveline. Let's go. Yeah. Let's figure out uh, how to get you a slider that works or a cutter that works or are able to get that changeup down. Maybe they return to the curveball a little bit more um, is the answer. Uh, I think one of those things happen. And with his impeccable four-seamer command, I mean, it's really good and consistent up there. Um, it lays a good foundation. It's not as good as, say, Brian Wu or Bryce Miller or those guys. That's why he's in the other tier here. But I think he's a relatively safe play with a good opportunity. Um, I just hope that he's able to go more than six um, with some sort of regularity this year. Yeah, I do love that, you know, he pitches at times like a much smaller pitcher because he was and he he used to be mm. right. And that was the kind of the big story about him was like before he really grew, he was a sh- uh, smaller pitcher who didn't have huge velocity um, and learned how to kind of place and and have command and then he started throwing you know but when he made his debut he was throwing 92 um, 92.5 miles per hour he had been like a high 80s guy so he started to have a little more velocity and then started to kind of um he connected that added velocity with the mindset of the command pitcher from before um And I like your point about the changeup, which he threw more in the second half of the year. So I think that that is another kind of tip in that direction. I have him 45 right now. But to your point, if if we see these very clear changes of like, is the curveball the other pitch? Is the slider the other pitch? What does he come into spring with? Um, if, we, if he comes into spring with something that appears to us like a, a usable or a strong third pitch, I could right. easily see bumping him inside my top. 40 because I think I do think there's a lot to like and I enjoy the team context as well. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're going back to the old man game with number 43. <laughs> yes, that's Justin Verlander. He is the old man game. I like him less than Scherzer and Darvish. Where people might say, what? What's wrong with you? Um, I don't think people understand that he had a 21.5% strikeout rate this year. And I think it's just going to get worse. Um, I think Justin Verlander across the board just gets worse. It's that simple. Uh, we've already seen the degradation happen to him as his stuff is worse. Um, and Slider is much worse than it used to be. I think he's not bad. He's here because these are like the reliable, like, sure, you're going to have these guys. And say for Darvish, who is more volatile and we're like, whoa, what are we going to get? I think for the rest of this tier, um, for the most part, uh, there are uh, a lot of guys that are like, yeah, this should work out in my favor. I mean, Justin Berlin is probably is safer than the guys behind him. Like, um, say like Lucas Giolito, for example. Um, but I, he's not going to get better. It's just going to decline, y'all. And I'm also a little bit worried about the Tommy John honeymoon coming up, which is normally around 300 innings. Uh, 162 this past year, 175 the previous year. Coming back, it just... I don't, I don't see the ceiling that he used to have. I really think it's too much of a stretch just because he's done it before. He's going to be 41 next year. Mm-hmm. I know it's ageist and all, but this is the reality of it. We're seeing a worse Justin Verlander, and I'm not going to be the one holding on to him. I fully agree. Um, 14.8% strikeout minus walk ratio because of that low strikeout rate, which you mentioned. Um, that also came with a 9.9% swing strike rate this year, um, which led to also a 4.43 Sierra. Um, I think when you watch him too, like this isn't just like, spouting stats when you watch him he obviously is not the same pitcher that he was a few years ago um 
you know, I, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. We're, we're not seeing the old Justin Verlander. And if you're getting a version of him, that's not missing bats. Like, even though we talked about Scherzer declining, Scherzer had a 13.3% swing strike rate this year. Yeah. That's three and a half percent better than Verlander. Like that's a big difference. It's a 377 Sierra for Scherzer to a 443 for Verlander. It's a 20.8% strikeout minus walk ratio for Scherzer to a 14.8% for Verlander. Like there are very clear performance differences between those guys this year. And I, I think it makes it easy to for me to say I trust Scherzer's performance in 2024 more than I trust Verlander's. Yeah, I think the, the quality per inning is going to be better for Scherzer. And I'll even say, I mean, well, this is just a, a tease for a later episode, but <laughs> I, I have Chris Sale over Verlander, too. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I thought about this one. I mean, Chris Sale's an interesting uh, conversation to be have, yes. had. I mean, there's something about, like, I'm not saying that Justin Verlander is not going to be helpful in the ratio department. That's the thing, though. I feel like it's going to be, like, a 3-7 or, like, a one fifteen or something like that. Like, I don't, I, I think that he's going to be able to muster success in some mm-hmm. fashion. It's just not going to come with the strikeouts you want. It's not going to come with like the, I mean, previous years to this one, it was all sub one whips. Like that's not going to happen. His hip and I went way up to near eight all of a sudden. Yeah. And the walk rate went a little higher up because he's not putting those guys away, right? Um, sale, it's it's such a weird, uh, sale is, is anxiety. Like you won't have anxiety, I think, with Verlander, you know? Sure. I mean, just don't, your expectations are lower, but you won't have anxiety. With sale, you're like, okay, is this, worth it like is he going to be 91 again is that good should i get rid of this should i not like i don't know what to do that's why i have sale just outside of my top 50 and if like me you just operate with a baseline of anxiety then welcoming <laughs> chris sale onto your team is basically yeah, there you go. really no different in your day-to-day um <laughs> let's talk about starting pitch number 44 because he's somebody i don't have currently in my top 55 and Ooh. i admit that i could be fully wrong but there's something about this guy that i just I cannot see myself buying into at this price. Yeah. So, um, by the way, you just remind me of, I don't know if you ever played Zoom Beanies growing up. I did not. No. Oh, no. Um, it was a huge thing at Berkeley Carroll. And um, at Berkeley Carroll, the, we played the logical journey of the Zoom Beanies. <laughs> and it was this wonderful problem-solving video game uh, on our computers when I was like eight years old or so. It was very mm-hmm. logic. It was like, and had one scenario in the beginning on like easy mode or whatever. It was these three, three monsters that won't let you pass unless you serve them a pizza with the toppings that they wanted. And you had to figure okay. out by deduction of what they said of what toppings you want. Right. And what you just said is something on that. I don't like that's <laughs> the line that they would say over and over again. And it's ingrained in my head. And there's something about Bassett and this pizza that you don't like. And I don't disagree necessarily. Uh, This is the tier of like, yep, this is going to be fine. I'm likely not going to drop these guys. And they've just been hollies, right? They've had a strikeout rate above 20% comfortably. I mean, 22.5% is essentially identical to the 2022 that Bassett had of 22.4 in 2020, right? Um, This is the guy. He's going to have a whip very likely better than 120 Sure, he went a little bit down because he walked a few more guys, but like this is just the only way he does. Also, should mention you're seeing the season long stuff and you're including that nine earn run game to start the year from Bassett, and he was demonstrably better after that. 
Um, I mean, so much so. And I just see a stable guy. I mean, he's going to be on a winning team again. He had 16 wins this past year, 15 in 2022. You're likely going to get that. The ERA and the whip are going to be fine. You're going to be okay with this. Um, I imagine it's going to hover 3.5. It's going to hover like a 115. And the strike rate should be above 20%. And he's a kitchen sink guy. I, I don't, you know, it, it's a high occult strike rate on the sinker. I get that. I generally don't love those. When I see a guy doing it for ages and it's more than one other pitch, it makes it more believable to me that you can steal those strikes with sinkers because there's so many other things to be looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it just kind of works with Chris Bassett. I mean, curveball, cutter, slider are all good. Uh, Four seamer, he saves for two strike counts. This is something that he's done for ages. Um, I think it's like three years now um, that Chris Bassett has uh, saved it for two strike counts. Um, over 50%, actually close to 60% of the previous two years. He brought it down a little bit, but it's still 100th percentile for four seamers um, this past year. So I think I, you know, I think that it's swinging strike rate can come back a bit. It was at 10% as opposed to 15% this past year. And uh, if that goes up, then they're great. You have more consistency with strikeouts too. I think the whole thing is fine and just going to deal with it the entire year. Yeah, I, I will admit, fully admit to this being my weak spot. Um, I know that, you know, we've mentioned our separate conversations with Eno Saras in the past, and he has always mentioned that, like, guys like Bassett who throw five or more pitches can tend to defy stuff and, you know, stuff metrics and and raw ability. Um, There's just so much, like, of, like, a, a 481 average PLV really poor. 39.6% 39.6% quality pitch, not great, especially when you consider that he had a 41.5% bad pitch rating. So he actually threw more bad pitches than quality pitches this year, um, according to the pitcher list metrics that are amazing. Um, 10.4% swing strike rate, as you pointed out, 425 Sierra. Like these are not the foundational principles of, <clears throat> of a really strong pitcher. Um, I understand that he is a smart pitcher. And I understand that he's able to get the most out of out of his arsenal. Um, to me, the concern is is just I don't think I don't think there's a lot of cushion here. Like there's not a lot of wiggle room because the the pitches themselves and the arsenal itself is not really strong. That if if the approach changes at all, if something is a little bit off, if um, you know, there's just not a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. Um, and so um, that that worries me with a guy where I also don't think there's a lot of upside. Like the upside is he's a solid rotational starter for you. The upside isn't he's your ace. So if there's yeah, not a lot I, of wiggle room for him, then I feel like there's a floor without a comparable ceiling for me. I understand you. Like I get it. It's typically not the kind of guy I go for. I don't really go for a Chris Bassett. At the same time, there is, I don't think, a more consistent guy. <laughs> It, 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 this is just what he is. You know, the idea that um, I'm normally with you on the wiggle room stuff because it's like we are more of a shrug of what the actual outcome will be. But with Bassett, I mean, this has been his MO for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been this. He hasn't last five years. He's had four seasons between a 116 whip and a 119 whip. He's had four seasons between a 315 ERA and a 381, you know, strikeout rate has fluctuated between 20 uh, in those five seasons, 21% and 25%. And like, it's all in the same realm. And it just seems like at this point, I mean, he is what he is. 
Uh, and I understand that from him, especially if you realize like how good this season was after that ridiculousness to start the year, um, which you can't really throw away. You're going to get it too. Right. But uh, it is pretty interesting to see like, oh yeah, all of his starts except one were like of this quality, you know? Um, and that's just kind of ridiculous, that one game. So I, I, I'm with you. I think of Chris Bassett as those like, cool, if this is what you need, you took so much risk and you need something that's like, okay, I need a guy that I know I'm holding for the entire year that isn't, you know, I need to get some wins, for example. It's Chris Bassett. Like, you're not going to be hurting because you drafted Chris Bassett. Yeah. My only other thing that that worries me is he is definitely another guy who accumulates, right? I mean, he threw mm. 200 innings this year. Um, that helps in the strikeouts. You know, get, he got 186 strikeouts, potentially, you know, not potentially, definitely because of, of throwing 200 innings. Uh, the last two seasons are the only time in his entire career he's thrown 180 innings or more. Um, so it's not like we have a long track record of um, durability from him. So, I mean, I guess in the, uh, to be fair to him, he did throw a complete starts. 2020 season. It just was a shortened season. And 25 um, starts in the other four games. Yeah, but four 25 starts, 144 innings. I guess, you know, he he was, you know, that's... What was it? Of all starters inside the top 31, only 15 of them made 25 yes. starts. But, sure. Um, I guess what I'm saying is if if there's... This isn't a guy who I think we, we lock in like 180, 190. Like, it's a it's a given. That's so fair. Yeah, yeah. I add... I add that question just to my overall question of like, what is the upside we're going for? Also, yep. uh, lowest fastball velocity since 2018. Um, just something to consider in there as well. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, all, he was. I remember that actually from the beginning of the year he was low and then he ramped up a little. Yeah. Um, but uh, but right, 92.4 in the four seam rooms, normally around like 93. 93.4, 93.5 in the last few years. Yeah. Uh, before we move to the next guy, I did just want to say real quick that if I was playing any computer game when I was eight years old, um, it was the Oregon Trail. Uh, oh, yeah. We had that one, too. That was the only thing Everyone would die of dysentery. We'd all get too, much, too many pelts because sure. we'd shoot the there was, there was no real educational value. I guess in just that the world yeah. is a harsh place. Yeah, we uh, uh, someone actually like almost beat that game. I was like, "How did you do that?" I'm just shooting all the pelts. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone just dies of dysentery. Um, Always. Or do you ford the river or not? Uh, yeah, we'll exactly. answer those questions and all <laughs> other important questions after this break. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Factor has helped me stay on top of my schedule while having satisfying meals that I was actually really surprised that I enjoyed from a variety of different foods that kept me going in my day. Are you looking for special occasion meals during the holidays? Level up with gourmet plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Enjoy premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. And when you're too busy running around to plan lunch, Factor has you covered with lunch to go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwaves required. Head to Factormeals.com slash OTC50 and use code OTC50 to get 50% off. That's code OTC50 at Factormeals.com slash OTC50 to get 50% off. 
We're going to shift here with your starting pitch number 45 because it is not a boring pitcher and it is not a old pitcher, but it is more of a do we have some upside in this young pitcher? Yeah, so this is actually, you really turned me on to this about the slider um, being utilized more and being an effective one down the stretch. Four whiffs, I think, per start um, for Bayo's slider. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you realize that Brian Bayo has done what he's done, which I think is actually pretty solid for the most part. I'm looking at the entire season, like a 20% K rate one. Uh, well, actually, a little different, but um, I'm looking at the entire season. What is it? It's a 134 whip. There we go. 424 ERA and about a 20% K rate. Uh, it's not impressive. However, I think a lot of those starts were him excelling with sinkers and changeups, doing great things and being really consistent for you and really just needing one extra little piece to solidify it. And that would be a slider. Uh, and seeing that actually kind of come to life by the end, knowing that he uh, is certainly developing, we've saw, we saw actually even entering this year, I kind of see a, uh, a one a one of those players that I talk about where, look, I actually feel like for 180 innings, I will be fine with you. And there's also some upside for more on top um, if mm-hmm. that slider does come to fruition. Now, I will say that he is lower than Bassett to me as part of as as far as like ERA and whip go and and strikeouts. I think like those are generally if you do not get that slider, Bassett wins. Uh, however, if the slider does develop, it absolutely absolutely could. He's 24, um, and just through 157 innings in the in the majors, like in his second year, first full year, I think Brian Bayo could take that leap. And if he does, I think he'll be a really solid pitcher. Yeah, and these season long stats you're talking about, I mean, he faded hard down the stretch. Yes. I mean, he had a, a 7.26 ERA um, in. 26 innings in in September as you mentioned his first full season at the big league level the innings lim- the innings totals that he hadn't reached before um you know I I'm trying not to read too hard into that last month which is interesting because the last month is also when we kind of saw him really showcasing this new slider so the question is going to be did he fade hard because there's something with as you know if you change and modify the grip of, of one pitch, it can sometimes lead to you losing feel for some of the other pitches in your arsenal. Um, and so the question is, is there something to that? Or is it just a guy who got tired down the, a young kid who got tired down the stretch, having never had thrown this many innings before? Um, I, maybe it's just like, I'm trying to be cautious because I am a Red Sox fan. So I don't want to like lean into fandom in the, in the rankings. I have him 51 right now. And that's below guys like Darvish cease Giolito, like the guys who like could used to be higher than him. And do I still trust that they can be, or am I going with the younger guy? Um, Yeah. And I could see myself jumping him into the mid forties. If I, you know, if I feel confident in spring that like, He's taking the has got it. I mean, look, if we see a lot of sliders and they look good in the spring, oh boy, am I jumping yeah. on the Bayo train. The sure. uh, the other element, too, I mean, we've also seen guys like Bayo, uh, you know, who has a 95-mile-per-hour fastball, by the way, and also tries to elevate his four-seamer. It's a 93rd percentile uh, high location. However, just a 10% swing strike, right? Um, we sometimes do see them take some sort of steps as far as velocity at times. Um, especially as the age a little bit. Um, he's 24 again uh, right now. So there's something to be said about that. Maybe there is, you know, I, I don't want to just say like, oh, this is who he is at this point. I actually, 
I feel as if Bayo will come into his own a little bit more than what he's shown already. Um, I think with uh, the reason why Cease is not inside of this tier, he's the start of the next one, or he's, he's part of the next one with, uh, uh, and we'll get to them soon, but uh, there's a real difference to me as to why I'm going, I would go for someone like Bayo versus Cease. Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind here, the Red Sox are currently without a pitching coach. Um, they've hired a new general manager in Craig Breslow. Um, who they bring in as a pitching coach could have an impact on the Excuse pitching Excuse me, Samolsky. Yeah, sorry. I got to take this phone call really quickly. I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> Is it you? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> never. I'm never Bayo leaving the pitcher moon. list, guys. Bayo to the moon. Um, never. Interestingly, uh, it's... There is uh, there's some rumors that it could be um, Andrew Bailey who could leave the Giants um, now that the Giants are changing managers and that Bailey might uh, come to the Red Sox. You know, uh, which I, 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 I confuse Andrew Bailey and Andrew Triggs all the time. Do you? Oh, yeah. All the time. I know they come up so much in conversation, but for whatever reason, they're just linked in my head. I just remember Andrew Bailey because he had a couple years um, as a reliever in Boston that were not entirely yeah. successful, but I guess maybe yeah, not entirely but that, that, unsuccessful too. Who knows? Yeah, and Triggs' slider was so good. Yeah, oh, um, we're going to move to an underappreciated pitcher. I think a guy that consistently gets doubted and written off every year, yeah. um, every year since he's been back in the big leagues, which is a hint. Um, but he continues to perform. So who is your starting pitch number 46? Well, he's starting to get a lot more attention, of course, considering the the Diamondbacks doing what they're doing. Um, and that's Merrill Kelly. And I remember entering this past year into uh, after 2022, where I didn't really believe that his changeup would be the same pitch. And I found out in season from Renee Deckert uh, talking to Kelly that he changed his grip completely and he's maintained it. And that's really cool. 22% strikeout rate to, tw- uh, to 26 uh, percent overall for Kelly because the changeup became an a nineteen percent uh, swing mm-hmm. strike rate pitch out of nowhere. Whoa, okay, that's pretty dang awesome. Was it a high CSW? No, because the call strike rate is terrible. He threw it out of zone all the time, twenty six percent zone rate. However, ninety seventh percentile O swing on a changeup to near fifty percent, and that's elite. Oh my gosh, that is so good. I don't care about the CSW here, guys. If you get to 1-0, you throw a change, you throw a changeup and it gets to 2-0 and you throw another changeup and then all of a sudden the third one works and you get that out in play and there's a 0% CSW. I don't care that's an out in play. Uh, getting those swings out of the zone is more important to me than CSW. Um, and uh, that is so good. It It's such a stellar pitch. The question to me has always been, all right, the changeup is working. That's great. Uh, in the 95th percentile PLV, PLV understands 542. It actually matches its 2022 version. How good is everything else? And I think that this year we've seen a little bit more of Kelly elevate his four seam, just a touch more. It's still second percentile, but at least it's more than the 27% from last year. It does get a fair number of called strikes. And I think this is something that uh, Zach Allen does as well, where these fastballs can live lower in the zone because it's a change of focus that's out of the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also this cutter that goes away from right-handers that does stun some guys a bit. And uh, it does make it a little tougher to commit to that four-seamer. And I really do dig that Kelly has a sinker that he throws the right-handers inside with a 36% O-swing. And that's really cool, too. So it's kind of like Chris Bassett. And you could say it's kind of like Chris Bassett with a changeup that gets more swing and miss. 
And as I even say this, I'm kind of like, wait, also there's Arizona Diamondbacks and their defense, which is better than Toronto. And now they're kind of winning. And why do I have Chris Bassett ahead of Merrill Kelly? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do. Maybe it's a 9% walk rate that he had this year as he gave in or a little more embrace of that changeup out of the zone um, and did not have as high of a zone rate on that four seamer to match. And same with the, the sinker. It's possible. I actually might be, as I'm saying this, raise Merrill Kelly just essentially right above Bassett. Um, maybe even above Justin Verlander because I'm saying that the end is nigh there and putting him at 43 and I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I'm more believing into Kelly. Generally, these things show up every year. I saw it in 2022 where I saw this guy was a 4-4-4 year A, 129 whip and all of a sudden they have a little bit better K rate. Um, their hit per nine goes down a bit as the BABIP goes down. And their ERA follows. And I'm like, well, all right, that's a Toby who had a good year. And that happens all the time. And I'm not going to buy into it. Then he then he kind of replicated it and did better in many ways. Um, worse than others. XERA hates him. At least ours does. A 365 to 411. But to me, it's a little bit more believable with that change of feel. Um, kind of coming together more as a full arsenal. And uh, I'm willing to say that he's a Holly. A proper Holly and not just a Toby having a good year. So he's solid. I'm not going to jump over everything to get him again. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm glad you brought up the Bassett thing. Um, last year, I was talking to Stephen Vogt, who was catching for the Diamondbacks uh, for part of that season. And he mentioned kind of the same thing with Kelly that you were talking about with Bassett, where um, when he's throwing before a game, he has so many pitches that he feels confident in that he kind of sees what feels good in that yeah. bullpen before the game and where he feel like he can re- where he feels like he can rely on or what pitch sorry he feels like he can rely on within that game and it gives so much diversity to the catcher to determine how to call that game based on what what's working and what he has feel for um and we've talked about a number of guys already where that's the case where that kind of like raises the floor it maybe makes it harder for them to really fully implode because they can challenge hitters in different ways um i love the massive strikeout rate jump this year i mean a full two percent jump almost in in swinging strike rate which is tied a lot to the changeup, as you mentioned and also to um the slider which he didn't really throw last year um and doesn't throw a lot this year but does just kind of you know mix it in um, so yeah, I, I I think I agree with you that I would feel comfortable taking Kelly over Bassett. You also have um, when Kelly since Kelly came back to the majors in 2019, he has thrown at least 158 innings in every full season. Um, he made five starts in that shortened 2020 year, so there's potentially a little bit more. I feel a little bit better about the durability of Kelly than I do Bassett. So sure. again, just a, it's like a tiny little bit, but it's a little check in that box if I'm comparing mm-hmm. those two. I, to me, guys. it's the defense of the Diamondbacks. I think that's kind of the the major reason why yeah. I'm, I'm leaning it because we've always kind of said like the Jays, like, well, how do we feel about that? Right. And and, and also the Jays, yeah. I mean, Matt Chapman is a free agent. Like yeah, he didn't that hit well. Things. That's a he didn't hit well, point. but that's a huge that's a huge glove at third base. That's such a good um, point. And so we don't really know. And also with Whit Merrifield probably gone, the Jays have a second base and a third base opening. So who they sign there will really determine how good that infield defense is, and that we could really need to be in in February or after really the the the, the lineups kind of solidify. 
we need to truly have like a like a good defense rank. And and I mean that as in really the important things to me are are infield uh, to see like ground ball guys and really the extremes of it. I don't really care about the middling ones. That's fine. It's just more of those like extra little bits of saying, hey, look, this could be like, hey, Seth Lugo in front of that defense. Great. Um, yeah. You know, Arizona Diamondbacks. Great. Oh, man. Aaron Nola having to deal with Schwarber in left field, you know, uh, not fun. So stuff like that, I think, actually can make a difference a lot more so. And I've actually noticed this in previous years, like the Cardinals were so good that one year right. defensively, and it just made their team so much better. You mean um, like we didn't why? realize in 2022 how good that Arizona defense was. Right. And that's a major reason why Kelly can be this kind of guy, right? So um, I think it's an important article that we're I'm going to make sure that we have um, for everyone in at least February. You mean that Cardinals defense of like why people could stream Dakota Hudson for certain starts yeah. because they yeah, just knew exactly. that he would get hitters to pound it into the ground and the yeah and then the also defense Arenado and Goldschmidt around the edges up. and then you have not Paul DeYoung and it's like wait hold on a second yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a wonderful thing um, we are <laughs> we are ready for the final pitcher of this tier yes we'll get to that after the break okay so who ends the Bud Black tier. It's Lucas Giolito. And I, uh, yeah, Giolito, I just think is better than what he was. Um, I think about the mental game a little bit with Lucas Giolito of like pitching for a White Sox team that was demoralized. Mm-hmm. Then get traded to the Angels who are just like a wreck, like a week within he's there. And then he gets, he gets sent over to Cleveland and they're not making the playoffs. And he never gets into a situation where he can actually improve, I think. Um, none of those organizations, and I still will say the Cleveland Guardians, I do not rank as a good major league development team. I think they're a good minor league team. They prepare youngins really well for the majors. But once they're there, it doesn't really change. And once Julieta arrived, I don't really think they're like, oh, they're the ones who I expected to fix him. Now, Giolito also fluctuated a lot with the velocity on his four-seamer. You can actually kind of see like the days that he had like 94 on his four-seamer, it was great. It was amazing. Unfortunately, it averaged 93 for the year, and we had days of 91 and 92. We had days of 93 or change, and we had days of 94. I do think that his changeup got better as the season went on. I think the slider was good some days and not others. And I think that Giolito is really going to work on himself this offseason. We might even see one of those investment year seasons. Of just saying, look, I had a 488 ERA last year with a 131 whip. I'm not getting the mega contract that I think I deserve right now. Mm-hmm. Even though I think teams don't really care about the ERA and the whip. Like they don't care at all. Um, like last it's kind of funny how like he pretty much matched 2022's ERA. This is over 63 starts of a 489 ERA and a whip at like 137 or something. And yet I think organizations aren't going to care. So We'll see what happens in this regard. I think Giolito is better than these last two years. I think there's a lot more to like um, about his full arsenal. And I also love the fact that he's pitched at least, what, 29 starts uh, for six straight years, max in 2020. Um, that's There's a lot of value in that. Uh, and I don't see a guy who should have these terrible ratios while still having a 26% K rate this past year. There's a much better version of Giolito, and we should see it next season. Yeah, I... 
he's confounding to me right now. I have him 50th and I think I'm just going to leave him there until I see where he signs and figure out. There's just so many question marks in terms of what will happen for him. Mm -hmm. We saw basically the same pitch mix this year as we did last year. Identical swinging strike rate this year as, as was last year. Pretty much identical defense independent ERA. There were some slight tweaks in the movement profile of some of the pitches, but like this is a guy who's kind of been a little lost um, to yeah. your point. And I don't think you know, I'm gonna, we can make some joke about if he's found by a particular team, but like it, it, it really is that like, is he going to go to a place that's going to be able to figure out what can, how, what can benefit him? I do think there's still upside in there. Um, I just need to see if he goes to a place that I trust and I understand that's super arbitrary, right? And some people are going to like, you know, that's like the Andrew Heaney rank, right? Everybody was like, oh, Heaney's on the Dodgers and, you know, we're going to vault him up. And I know that things went well and he got hurt and blah, 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 whatever. Um, but I I just, there's there's not a lot to hang your hat on over the last two years um, other than just we've seen it from this guy before. And can somebody pull it out again? Yeah, the raw skills also of what he does is still very good. It's a good, it's good enough slider. It's a great changeup, and I think the intent he has with his four seamer is really good. Um, there, the, it's the stuff is there. Uh, it's just about kind of putting it all together again. Yeah, uh, the that the I, I'm glad you said intent on the four seam because that pitch gave up a 13.7 percent barrel rate this year. And oh, I know, not, yeah. It did not Absolutely. work for him, but the, the, it, the, the velocity. If it's at, if he's back in '94, which he was in 2020 and 2021 when he had those phenomenal years, mm-hmm. great. If he's down at 92 and change, I think the pitch gets hit a lot harder. Yeah, um, which is not fun. I don't I don't like that for you, buddy. I mean, ICR is actually kind of consistent over the years. Um, put away rate is worse the last two. High location is the same. I'm trying to actually like figure out like what is it in in innately about the pitch that oh this is a good this is a good find um early ball in play percentage on giolito uh it was way lower in 2020 and 2021 than it was in 2022 and 2023 on his four seamer there might be something to that about guys getting ready to jump on his four seamer Mm -hmm. and uh higher early percentage in these two years than in 2020-2021 so if he f- he focuses more on changeups, you could say, um, especially no O counts or one O counts, uh, you might see, you know, maybe Gilito can pitch backwards, uh, and that is maybe one of the solutions you'll find. Yeah, if find if, in, in his new home, we'll unearth the solution. I know in his new home. You know, he kind of does belong in that tier six as opposed to the tier five for this reason. Tier six, which is whose tier? What manager? What favorite Nick oh, Pollock right. manager are we so, naming tier six after? I totally missed before when you're like, I just want to talk about managers really quickly. I thought that's what you were saying, but I didn't realize <laughs> the tiers were. So I was just like talking about all the things. And I was like, oh yeah, Bud Black, but the Bud Black is just steady and fine. And there he is on the Rockies. So that fit, luckily. Um, this is, the, you can't trust this one. So I'm going to say this is the Gabe Kapler one. Like, mm. I feel like he has this extra edge of like, what is it going to be? Is it going to be a great fit or a terrible fit? I have no idea wherever he lands. Now there's something I do like about Gabe Kapler. I got to say about like, um, there's, you know, there, whatever qualities you want to say about, it. I'm not saying that everything is just, he's the greatest thing ever or all that kind of stuff. 
I do appreciate to him, he's very much focused on the emotional states and the very much of like being humans that communicate in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's very good at that. So I do love that about Kapler. Uh, Kapler. Gabe Kapler? No, it is Kapler. I want to say Kapler for a second. It is Kapler. Uh, yeah, yeah, Gabe Kapler. Uh, Gapler. Okay, uh, we're going to go to number 48, though. These are the guys <laughs> that you cannot trust. Uh, just like oh, man. just like the pronunciation of that last name. You cannot yeah, trust Yeah, I know. I went as fast as I could past that. Okay. Starting pitcher number 48, who? Uh, is Hunter Brown. And I have the two Hunters actually right there. Yeah, so, there's got to be a third Hunter you could have rounded I know. This, uh, I, I, I kind of thought about it. Uh, catfish. Just get Catfish in here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is interesting to me. I think a lot of people have given up on Hunter Brown too quickly. And maybe I'm I'm wrong. Like everyone actually has Hunter Brown at this point in their drafts or their, their general rankings. I understand how bad it was. It was a 509 ERA with a 136 whip for Hunter Brown. But this is the Astros, and the Astros are one of those rare teams that actually give a check mark, as you were talking about, to being an organization that should be good for a pitcher. And a 27% strikeout rate for Hunter Brown this past year, as I, I just think that he's going to figure out what to do with his four-seamer and his slider and his curveball. Um, those pitches are innately good swing strike pitches, I believe. The slider not utilized in a way that sh- well, made it one, as it was a 10.4% swing strike rate, it had one of the lowest percentiles of two strike rates of 22%. Like that is not good. That was fourth percentile. Yeah. Obviously it's not going to have as good of a swing strike rate if you don't throw it in counts that generates swings and misses. Like its swing rate was about average or so. And he went in the zone a ton with it. So it's like, I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised by this um, from from Hunter Brown. Sure, the O swing was low because a lot of them were like around and doing the rainbow, which you don't want. Um, rarely would I not encourage a rainbow, but here I'm not because it's uh, an aura above the zone for a slider, which is what you want for four seamers, and uh, you want uh, you want sliders down in glove side, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that's not what you want, Hunter Brown. You don't want to hang your slider up in arm side. That's terrible. However, I do think there is something here. I think it's the Blake Snell blueprint, personally, for Hunter Brown. He did try to do the Zach Gallon thing before, which is low-called strike rates. And I think a lot of conversations last year were saying that... I saw an interesting Fangraphs article saying that Hunter Brown was a mix of Verlander and uh, Valdez because he had a four-seamer, but he also got a lot of ground balls. And I was like, well, yeah, that's because this pitch was low a lot. And he was getting called strikes on it. And he wasn't really in tending to go upstairs. I was like 60% high lock or I sorry, a 62nd percentile high lock, not 60%, 50%. That's not, that's not high. So if he does try to do that, there's a, there's a way that this works. That's so much rambling. This is like the most rambling ramble I've done. Like normally there's more cohesion to it, but like Hunter Brown to me is like, look, you have a good enough four seamer. It's not a bad one. You just don't know how to use it. You have a slider that isn't fully commanded. You have a curveball that you don't quite know how to utilize yet. And one, it'll come together. It's the it's the Astros. He is how old? Twenty five. Yeah, he'll be fine. He's a major part of that rotation next year. I think Hunter yeah, Brown with that strikeout rate is just going to get better. And this was his first full year as a starter. We know that he came up last year. He was not a starter when he came up last year. Um, so we need to keep that in mind in terms of his development. Uh, I'm a little perturbed that he cut the curveball usage in the second half of the year, since I think like you there, there are in many ways that was the, his best pitch. Um, it's certainly mm, his best yep. swing and miss pitch. 
Um, and then he fiddled with his slider. You know, he tried to. There was some Statcast has him throwing a sweeper sometimes in the second half of the year. So there's definitely some slider finickiness going on. Um, I trust. I trust the the potential with him. Um, I'm I'm a little down on him, and I think I'd have him. Actually, that's so funny. I'm saying I'm a little down on him, and I'm looking at my rankings, and I have him 41. Um, 41? Ahead of, ahead of where you have him. 41? Um, I am at 50. Because, I, don't I have like 40, uh, 48 or something. Um, uh, I guess I, I just looked at like the, the PLV is good on it. The quality yeah. pitch is good. Yeah, we're, I think we're on the same page. Rate, the strikeout rate was good. The strikeout minus walk rate was was solid. The Sierra was good at three seven. The real the flaw was like the the swinging strike rate, as you mentioned, the approach. And so, I keep looking at all that and thinking. I I guess when I think I'm not as high on him as before, like uh, to me, like I have him and Bobby Miller on a a a home league fantasy team. And at the middle of the season, I was like, I'm definitely keeping Hunter Brown. Maybe if things work out for Bobby Miller, I'll keep Bobby Miller. And so. To me, that's like a massive shift from the right. middle of the year to now, where now it's like I don't I don't know what I'm going to do with Hunter Brown. Um, yeah. I had looked at him as that type of prospect, right. uh, but I still believe in the upside that um, I'm I'm going to take another plunge next year. I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, I also want to mention there is a splitter involved um, that he utilizes yes. a little bit more in relief. Um, uh, yeah. And I didn't really mention that before. And he used it a little in the second half of the year too. Yeah, I, I just maybe he was a little bit fatigued. I mean, he threw 155 innings too. Um, look, the the tools are there for Hunter Brown to really take off, and to see that kind of like normally when I see someone with a 27% K rate who's in their second year, without like with actually having an arsenal that's not two pitches, like this is three three pitches, a good enough four seam that should be better, a slider and curveball that each have the movement, and I think the stuff ranks to be better. Mm-hmm. for results um and then i see like okay 136 whip i feel like i just throw this away it's 11th percentile babbit uh 37th percentile hit per nine i uh, homer fly ball rate was fifth percentile like these are things that are to me the results really didn't work out in his favor 27th percentile left on base rate i uh, and at the end of the day i mean sure you want to point to the xfip which is i think terrible to do but and we're going right. to do it cuz clearly there's a problem of his approach and his command that caused those home runs but fine let's just say that he's fine at allowing home runs now it's a 351 xfip and innately that's like all right because he strikes out 27% of the batters despite that approach being weird so if there's anything that i'm going to say like look the astros can fix things and make things better yeah it's hunter brown uh, that this is exactly the kind of mold that we talk about for development of like, yeah. give me the stuff, give me a little bit better command and be in a really good organization. Great. Hunter Brown. John check. Um, <laughs> and there are, there are different concerns though with the other Hunter. And I, I came into this thinking I was going to rank Hunter green much higher because yeah. uh, the average PLV is really nice. 5.14. You know, quality pitches minus bad pitches, a lot of quality pitches from him. The strikeout rate we know about, right? 20.9% strikeout minus walk ratio, 13.4% swing strike rate. But it's a 1.42 whip. Um, the It was an 8.5% barrel rate. The swing strike rate got worse in the second half of the year. I know he was dealing, he came back from injury. Also, the movement profile and the slider change in the second half of the year was that due to injury? Like, can can we refine that? Because 
you know, the that pitch got hit a lot harder. Um, and it was also only he was only throwing at 85.8 miles an hour in the second half of the year. And that was an 88.3% mile per hour pitch in the first half. So like, was he trying to take something off the slider? Yeah. Was that because right, of the right. injury? Like there are these questions to me and then you throw in the terrible home ballpark and it's, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, Hunter. Hunter green to me is a two pitch guy, which is annoying. Um, I'm starting to really like, be more down on two pitch guys than I used to be, I think now, mm-hmm. um, because it's really just so hard to find one that isn't volatile, say for Kevin Gosman. Um, and Hunter Green, uh, we all know the ceiling here. Uh, I just think he's too inconsistent. I think the four seamer isn't as good as we think it is. Uh, despite being elevated a ton, like this is what he does, he still elevates it. And yet it's not like a, 20% swing strike rate despite its velocity, right? Uh, there's something to be said about this. And the slider is very good too. And those are two really good pitches. But what happens so often in my view is guys are like, cool, I'm either going to be on the four seamer or the slider. And I know how to be on the four seamer. And he gets burned by that. I remember actually when he first came up, Hunter Green had this terrible start, I believe, against the Jays. And I, I loved his locations. Like his locations are insanely good. Um, PLV absolutely loved it. Uh, and then it's just like, well, sorry, you're going to allow 800 runs now, you know? Um, to me, this is just too volatile. I don't think that I'm going to be in a place where I actually trust Hunter Green. If he's so good for the first month, I'm probably going to sell high, right? That's Mm -hmm. probably where I'm going to be. Cause what am I going to see that's different? And is it going to be a shape of the fastball? Make me more confident in it. Is it going to be more consistent with the slider? Is it a new pitch or something? That's really what I need to see at this point. At the same time, we do need to recognize, look, he's 24. There is time for change. There is uh, the 30% strikeout rate that's still apparent. And if there is something that he does improve upon, yeah, well, Hunter Green then becomes like a ridiculous ceiling guy. Right. I'm finding myself trying to... Uh, I, I Look, I'll put it this way. In every single fantasy league, you gotta get lucky with something, right? Sure. Right? You have to you have to hit on something. I would much rather hit off the waiver wire than in my draft. As if, if if it's inside my top 50 picks, I would rather hit in that way. And that sounds ridiculous, but uh, as we see year after year, there are so many guys that influence our teams off the waiver wire. And if we just get some consistent foundation that works for you, that you feel good about, and you have this solid four or five crew and then you just add those extra guys through the year you're gonna soar and a guy like hunter green at this point is really around that i mean i have him at 49 because i'm like well all of these are just i don't know what's going to happen here and hunter green to me is just i am you know there's a part of me that wants to draft carlos rodon above hunter green i know that sounds crazy and nuts but i feel like hunter green is going to be a hipster for you headache inducing pitcher stifling the entire roster and my goal is to limit that as much as possible. Yeah. I could see a world where if he falls, you're like, okay, at this price, I'll just take the upside. But the issue is that with his name and with his prospect pedigree, he's not going to. um, Unless he gets like lit up in spring training and everybody's like jumping off the bandwagon. But again, like here's a guy who I just don't think I'm going to be getting because um, I just think the cost is not there for, for where I'm at. Um, and we're going to end with a pitcher who you and I 
talked about this guy on the podcast early last year when you came on uh, my show, and I was super high on Dylan Cease going into last year. Um, not that I thought that 2022 was for real, but I thought that some of the changes he had made in 2022 were legitimate enough that he would stick as maybe a high-end SP2 in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this past year was was terrible. Uh, and so are you – is this a – since we're at 50, is this a glass half full 50 or is this a glass half empty 50? This is the same thing as it is with Hunter Green. I just don't know what we're going to get start to start. I don't know. I mean, look, what we saw really in 2022, Dylan the first half was just insane. Um, and he was really good when it comes to results in the second half, but the strike area fell to 24%. And I, it's it's all comes down to like what he has on a given day. There are some games where his four-seamer upstairs is everything that's supposed to be. Stuff plus on it still loves it. PLV kind of loves the four seamer, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny, but I think there's something about that four seamer that is just more hittable, and especially its locations a lot. Just like open the doors off and be like, well, okay, here we go, bam, and it's frustrating to say the least. The curveball is not uh, reliable enough, and it's just about that slider. And that slider, I saw so many games this year where he just could not put it where he's supposed to. Um, he's supposed to put it um, down in glove side and and tempting down in glove side. And a lot of times he bounced it. A lot of times, you know, seeing only a 37% O-swing on his slider is just not what you want. You have to have at least 40% on that. Uh, that's why his strike rate dropped five points. And that is a huge deal because if he's not getting enough strikes on that slider, then he has to turn to the fastball. He has to turn to the curveball. And there's your problem. It needs to be super amazing all the time getting all the strikes. And when it's mm-hmm. not, then, well, sorry, you're going to allow more, a lot more hard contact on it. It's ICR rate, even when it was hit in play, went way up. 27% in 2022, 44% in 2023. That does not include strikeouts. That's only on contact because he made so many more mistakes of it inside the zone. And I just don't know. Like, I think believing in a 27% ICR on the slider again is just way, way too uh, too much of a give for Cease. And you're going to see more volatility. So that's why he's down here. But I recognize also like, hey, how many strikeouts did he have this past year? Oh, look at that, 214. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, how what is that worth to you? Uh, it's four five eight ERA and a one four two whip to get there. So do what you need to do. You know NFBC leagues I think are going to be higher in cease because they you know it, it's going to be harder fifteen teamers to find that you need mm-hmm. to have those tallies of strikeouts. But man, uh, it's going to be volatile and that's no fun. Yeah, I have him currently forty eight and it's in this tier with like you Darvish and Giolito and guys where I'm like I don't know. Like maybe yeah, I might great. move down. G- I might move down Darvish into that tier two of like with Giolito and stuff. I think they all belong in tier six because it is more just the volatile stuff. While Bassett and Kelly are still like, um, we're fine. Like you're not going to worry about us. Yeah. And again, this this all co- as we go through all these pitchers, like this all comes down to how you're building your fantasy rotation, right? Oh, if course. you have stability already at the top, then you could probably take a shot on somebody like Cease because that volatility is maybe okay if it hits because you you know that you have some anchors. Whereas if you're taking guys like Glass now early, it's probably better to go with like the Bassets and the Kellys of the world that give you a little bit more foundational stability than to go like, you know, Glass now and Shane Boz and, you know, uh, and go with Cease and who really knows what you're going to get. You could have no rotation by the middle of the year. Right, right, exactly. Um, so we're, we're going to continue this. Uh, we're going to the back half of the top 100 the next time we meet. Um, 
sadly, I'm going to miss the opportunity to to see Nick in person in Arizona. No, because of One this year. wedding next year. Um, so I have a heavy heart. Um, <laughs> but I, I am I am Eric Smolsky, the Pelican. And I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And we'll talk next week through my tears of sadness.